0: Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and really excited for today's guest and Russ Bookbinder, president and CEO of San Antonio Sports. Now, he's got a a past of uh, some experience with the San Antonio Spurs, Texas Tech University, and we'll dive into that a little bit more with my co-host, Pat Gallagher. And, uh, Russ, I want to start off the podcast by saying uh, welcome, and really excited to dive into your path, your career, and what uh, those who are either in the industry or trying to get in the industry can learn from, you know, some of the successes and also the failures you might have had as well. Yeah,
1: absolutely, It'd be fun.
0: So, start us off. Uh, you know, you're president, and CEO of San Antonio Sports. We'll dive into that a little bit later. But how did you get to where you are?
1: Well, um, I want to say in in the mid 70s, um, I actually moved out to San Francisco with my best friend, um, loaded my car up from the University of Florida with nothing, went out there, ended up getting a job uh, with a company called Pro Sports Publications and met Pat Gallagher at the Giants office, I believe in 1976, Pat.
2: Nineteen seventy six. That was my
1: first.
0: Hey, I, I gotta, I gotta stop you guys real quick. When you guys first met in nineteen seventy six, did you think you'd be doing a podcast in twenty twenty?
1: Hey,
0: I, I, <laughs> I didn't think I'd be alive in 2020. I thought
2: the only telephone I knew we had a, had a rotary dial on it, and uh, you know, it was it, it. We got advanced. We got some of those buttons that you could have multiple lines. That's where we were in nineteen seventy six. We didn't really? even have a didn't even have a fax machine yet wasn't invented
1: <laughs> What's uh, so, no I'm just kidding <laughs> so my my first job was actually working for professional sports publications, and that company did the game magazines for a lot of teams in major league baseball, a lot of teams in the nBA and i I had an office in the Giants office, and that's where Pat um, worked and we we met early in life and have kept in touch ever since, but that was my first job. My, we went up and down the, the West Coast.
2: We became pals and stayed in touch. And, you know, Russ took that job and parlayed it. I mean, he's worked. You, you've, you actually worked for um, you were in San Diego with the Rockets. Was that right? I mean, it, uh, it
1: was the Clippers or oh, the Clippers. Yeah. It
2: was the Clippers. That's yeah. right. And it, <laughs> you worked for Donald Sterling in San Diego, right?
1: Uh, I, I worked for 11 months before I resigned. Oh, well, um, then that's a hint for people in the business um, is, you know, you got to be happy where you are and uh, that if you're not happy where you are, uh, there's another place for you and and you'll find your way, but you've got to be happy.
2: But that must have been a tough decision at the time because, you know, we all sort of coveted these jobs that we had in sports. You know, you you're living in San Diego, working for the, you know, working for, for for an NBA team, and all of a sudden now you quit. Did you? I mean, what did you think was going to happen?
1: Um, I was going to figure out how to pay my mortgage. Um, <laughs> that, so, you know, the the step before that, I I, I started with the Dallas Mavericks in 1980. Uh, it was an expansion franchise, and worked there for three years, and then had the uh, opportunity to go out to. San Diego and and move up in the business. But I had just gotten married, uh, bought a house, um, had a mortgage. And, um, you know, after 11 months, uh, it it was, uh, I left without a job. Everybody said, you're crazy. Yeah, Um, But I I ended up doing a project at that time. The U.S. Olympic basketball team was um, training to go to L.A. for the Olympics in 84. And worked with, uh, with the NBA to uh, stage some um, exhibition games between the, uh, the college uh, Olympic team. And there's no pros then against a group of NBA players uh, before they went to the Olympics. So I was able to pay the mortgage for a few months and ended up getting on with the Denver Nuggets in 1984. And um, a guy named Red McCombs owned the Nuggets at that time. And so I, I was hired there and a year after I was there, Red sold it. So we had new owners. So um I, I stayed a year and then eventually I ended up connecting back with Red when he, he bought the Spurs.
2: And the Spurs so were, were one of the Spurs were one of the original um you know, the American Basketball Association teams.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um it was uh Indiana. Um the New Jersey Nets and the Denver Nuggets and the San Antonio Spurs all came into the NBA from the ABA, and there's one other group that was uh, trying to get in the NBA it was the St. Louis Spirits at that time, and I think they got the best deal in all of professional sports because in order for the other four teams to get in, they promised the Spirits, uh, I believe it was one eighth of their TV revenues in perpetuity. Oh and God. so, so that ownership group has uh, collected um, significant dollars over the years. Um, and I'm not sure the NBA at one point was trying to buy out um, that, that agreement. I'm not sure if they ever did or not, but it's a heck of a deal to sit back and get that check every year, especially the way TV <laughs> rights deals went over the years. Wow. But,
2: but Russ in, in the, in the, uh, you know, so now I was reading a story about you now in and- you know, this is, I'll flatter you a little bit here. You know, you're, you, they refer to you as a power broker in San Antonio and Mr. Sports in San Antonio, but, but I have to say you had an incredible run with the Spurs, uh, got a chance to build a new building. How many, how many rings do you have?
1: Um, four, um, and very, very fortunate to have that. And all that stuff they write, as you know, is, is, uh, is hogwash. So,
0: <laughs> hey Russ, I gotta I gotta ask you. We were actually doing a a podcast episode uh, with Dennis Mannion and uh, Andy Dolich, our co-host, has one ring. Dennis had four, and Andy said, "Where do you keep all your rings?" Uh, and he was like, "Well, they're in these boxes shoved away in some desk. Where are yours?"
1: Uh, in boxes shoved away in my closet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're two. I mean, who wears? a
1: ring that's twice the size of your finger and, um, just shouts, you know, bling anywhere else. I mean, I, I won't wear them. I, I show them to people that want to see them, but, um, you know, it's, it's a great treasure, great memory, but they're
0: unwearable. Well, well and, you too- and, go ahead. And to your, and to your point about the, the memories and, um, probably that's, that's, that's maybe the one thing that probably, uh, is most treasured about those, you know championships and the seasons and and really it's the people um but you know before the wins and the glory there had to have been some tough times right
1: oh absolutely um you know the one uh, and i've been through the you know the clippers organization uh it was improved in the year that we were there but um you know the spurs when i got here were had about 20 wins and uh, were drawing about 6,000 people a game in San Antonio and that was in hemisphere arena. So those were not good times. And the first year we, we hired Larry Brown and first year there, we, we got 20 something wins and, um, it was miserable. Um, and then, uh, we draft, we, we had drafted and uh, could not, um, sign or play David Robinson at that time. He still had some military commitment left, but, uh, when David Robinson started, everything turned around and, you know i always say that you know he he's the best v p in marketing a franchise could ever have. you don't need anybody else. the heck with all those suits um, <laughs> you, have, you have a guy like that you don't you don't need you know he he sells a franchise on his own
2: well and you built the the alamo dome and you know and how long did you guys play in the Alamo dome
1: nine years nine years and um there were a number of teams of uh, uh, in domes, uh, you know, I think two or three at that time. But, you know, the, they were so, so big. Uh, they met the need temporarily for this franchise in San Antonio. Um, but what you what you find out in those buildings is that there's so much inventory um, in order to keep uh, a season ticket base. You know, part of the beauty of that is that you have limited access and in order to get all of the major... Uh, games you need to be a season ticket holder so you didn't have a reason to buy season tickets with that many seats um so over time uh you know the need was to get to a, a smaller configuration and hence the at t center uh, was built but the dome served us extremely well that the the good points of that is that when Michael Jordan came to town you could expand the seating to 40,000 um so it, it had his upsides, and uh, it it's still doing a great job for the city of San Antonio. It's a great building.
2: And so, Russ, you you, uh, you, you took a detour after you, you spent a long time with the Spurs, but took a detour and got into academia, and you're the only, uh, for a while, you had a title of vice chancellor um, at Tech to, Texas Tech. I mean, did you wear like a robe around? How do you know, what was it like? I mean.
1: <laughs> That's pretty funny <laughs> well um, you know, t- you know <laughs> no, I mean i i I tried to wear a Hawaiian shirt as much as I could, but sometimes I wore a suit and tie um, the uh you know that that was an interesting stop I, at after I uh, left the nBA i had thirty about thirty years there and took a year off uh, with no intentions of uh, working for a while, just wanted to detox. Um, and did that and had an opportunity, um, you know, I had a, a call from a, a gentleman who was a, an alumnus of, of Texas Tech who just basically asked me, uh, would you ever consider going to a university and and uh, working? And I, I said, you know, I had never thought of that. But then the job that I was offered, um, you know, touched on athletics, but it also touched on a lot of other things. You know the marketing of a system. It was the Texas Tech University system, which had a number of entities, and then also looking at uh, research and uh, dealing with companies to try to bring uh, early stage research to market, which is something that was uh, new and exciting to to get into. So I did that for three and a half years and learned a lot. I mean, I, all I dealt with was an orange ball for my entire life, and all of a sudden I'm dealing in cyber physical systems and animal you know, uh, work and different, uh, crop <laughs> formulas. So it was pretty interesting. And so, so how did you wind up going back to
2: San Antonio? Tell, tell us how that happened.
1: Um, I had served on the board when I was with the Spurs of a, uh, a nonprofit San Antonio sports, which serves as the sports commission for the city of San Antonio. It's a separate 501 C three, but does so much more, um, the organizations engaged in after school programs and uh, programs for high school. Do a high school all star game. We we do uh, about 100 events over the summer in the areas of the highest zip codes of diabetes um, that deals with uh, wellness and and uh, health measurement. So we're we're just a very broad organization doing some really good things in the community. Turn elementary school playgrounds into small community parks. You know, trying to you know, double up on the, the access of green space in areas that they don't have it. So, and then also work to bring men's final four, women's final four and major events to our city, which create economic impact. So I served for 18 years on that board when I was with the Spurs and um, they, uh, the leadership, uh, the person who was doing that, Susan Blackwood was retiring and they called me and asked me if I would, would like to come home to San Antonio and do that. And I was thrilled. It's a great opportunity. It's a great organization doing good things. So you've, you've,
2: you've had a, you've had a chance to, in these different moves. One thing I wanted to ask you, it was, you know, you've met a lot of people in the business, a lot of people who had influence on you. Who, so who, who gave you the best advice you ever got in the business?
1: Oh, wow. That's hard. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with some, some really good people. Um, you know, Norm Sanju starting it with the, uh, the Mavericks was uh, a marketing genius and what he did and, uh, created structure. Um, I think the best advice I got was when I came to the Spurs Our um, the secretary treasurer, uh, is Colonel Maury Holden. And he, he was, uh, he was a world war two vet. Um, Great, great guy. Uh, and when I got there, he, he was, uh, you know, at retirement age. But I was pretty stressed out um, drinking from a fire hose when I got there. And he came, put his arm around me and, and said, hey, you don't have to worry about a darn thing. Do you see live, live bullets flying over your head? <laughs> and I said, no. He said, you don't have to worry. Let me just tell you, I've been there. Take it easy. <laughs> so, I think it's the, the best advice I ever got. was just, hey, there's no live bullets. No one's dying. Um, relax a little bit. So. <laughs> but, I, you know, I worked for, you know, Red McCombs, an and, and incredible genius of a man, uh, Peter Holt. Two different styles, but couldn't find uh, better owners um, in sports. And, you know, learning from those two over, over a 20-year period. Um, you know, you, you can't buy that education. It was, it was incredible.
0: So Russ, you, you, you talked a little bit about uh, some of the decisions you had to make earlier on in your career uh, in order to get to where you were with the Spurs for 20, 21 years. Um, and then ultimately the the moves you've made after that, what were some of the thoughts and, and um, maybe perspectives you had early on that maybe you wish now that you know what you know now, you would you have done anything differently with those decisions or do you think that, uh, you know, they served you well and they got you to where you needed to go?
1: Yeah, I, I, I kind of believe that God's got a plan for your life and you could try to screw it up any way you want, but generally things settle out to the way they're supposed to be. And, uh, you know, every decision that I've made, um, you can look back on your life. Um, led you to something that was uh, was greater or uh, a greater learning. So I don't I don't really go back and um, and dwell on uh, on decisions. You know you make them at the time. You have all the information, um, and whether they they work out the way you planned it or not, they eventually work out. Um, at least in, in, in my career, that uh, it worked out great. You know I can look back everything that happened uh led to something that was it was was bigger and better
0: and you talk about bigger and better and and you know the role you're in now you talked a little bit about it it's it's doing great things with great people and and is there a certain fulfillment that you get out of the goals that you're achieving now versus you know maybe when you were with the spurs uh on on the revenue side of things
1: yeah um, I, I think you know um San Antonio has always been a model franchise and, and part of that was um, how well we engaged in the community, how well we engaged with the needs of the community um, and we're an asset. When you're the only team in town and you have players like we did, you are a community asset. You're part of the fabric of that community. So um, that role was was fulfilling um, in itself, but what I'm doing now is um, you know, you take that effort and you just multiply it times 10 because that's what you do every day. That's what you're focused on. You know, we've got uh, 58 elementary schools and an uh, innovative program is called and we teach third through fifth graders. We teach them five sports during the year. The, it's in underserved communities, Title I schools uh, reach about 1,500 kids a day, same kids all year. They get shirts, shoes, backpacks, Uh, shorts, the whole bit, training in basketball, volleyball, soccer, tennis, and and track. And we hold tournaments for them and teach them character and nutrition. And longitudinal data shows that, you know, and and we all know that being involved in sports um, sets your framework up for life uh, at an early age. There's certain things you learn because of sports that really uh, lead to a great path. So giving these kids that could not afford early stage sports development, the opportunity to pick a sport they like and continue to play it and learn all the, all the, the inherent things you get from playing sports, teamwork and work ethic, et cetera. Um, You know, every time we just had a, a volleyball tournament for 1400 third through fifth graders Saturday and I walk out of there and I'm just like, I see all these kids smiling and, and, you know that, and more than that, you see all their parents and grandparents and sisters and brothers there. Um, it's a really neat thing. And when you sit walk away from that after a day, you just say, you know, does, does it get any better than this? Because those kids will benefit long term. Pat?
2: So, so Russ, um, you know, of all the, the, the cast of characters that you've met, I mean, You know, I always used to when I watched what you did with the Spurs and you had the Twin Towers there, you know, describe those were really two character guys. Um, Describe that. I mean, the importance of having character and what that allowed you to do as a franchise.
1: Well, I mean, David Robinson, let's start with David is, um, you know, is uh, he's. Better than advertised, and, and he's got a, a great reputation. But um, he is the one that really set the framework up. We have we had George the here um, that really put San Antonio on the map. Uh, but David um, really was the foundation of the the Spurs that you know, you've seen over the last 25 years, twenty five years, 25 to thirty years. Um, uh, not only was he a, a great one of the greatest NBA players, um, but he set a, not just a standard for the players on the court. He set a standard for the organization, set a standard for the community, um, and and the Spurs from there became uh, that community asset. Um, and when you have guys like David, you can attract other players of character. The um, and the same with Tim. When you know David went down for a season, I, I can remember the season. It was you know, we lost everybody. Um, We had like the only guy left standing was Avery Johnson, I think. Um, But that, that terrible season led to Tim Duncan and the draft. We went into the lottery. We're the third, um, you know, seated in the lottery and we ended up winning uh, the lottery and and picked Tim Duncan. So you had most franchises take a turn um, in the Valley. Um, Spurs were very fortunate to have back-to-back franchise players and, they still got it going. Uh, it's a little tougher year this year than in the past, but to go that long and, and not hit a valley um, speaks highly of the players that were involved. They um, they set the tone for the franchise and the organization. Really, uh, this city—if you spend time in San Antonio—the the Spurs are it. You know, it's the only major league franchise in San Antonio, and um, they, they. I will tell you more people that children have grown up learning character and learning discipline by watching uh, pop and watching the organization, the players uh, than they might've learned, you know, from their own parents. It's it's that prevalent.
2: You know, you talk about pop and he, um, I just saw that pop just had a birthday, I think yesterday, I think he's 71 years old. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but you look at the influence that he's had on not only in the Spurs, but just, you know, sort of on the culture of the organization, um, a really remarkable guy. Um, and do you have any stories about Pop that you can tell?
1: Well, there's, there's plenty of stories about Pop, um, but no one will tell them. <laughs> <laughs> no, one will, no one will endure the wrath. Um, <laughs> you know, you know the, I tell you the other, um, you know, glue to, to the franchise, you know, from, I remember when Pop was an assistant coach with Larry Brown pop was the, the go between pop helped facilitate everything we were doing, uh, from the business side. You, you always need, um, that go between between uh, players and, and, and the basketball operations and the business operations. And pop was that bridge when he was an assistant coach. Um, so he understood, um, you know, the needs of both sides. Um, but, you know, more importantly, he, he built a, an organization that everybody in the city could be proud of, uh, and winning, uh, as anybody knows in sports, if you, you can be great people, wonderful community citizens, and that does build equity, uh, but you've got to win. And, and pop was the key ingredient to molding, uh, players around Tim and David and understanding, um, the building a culture and understanding, you know, what roles needed to be filled. So uh, there's none better than pop, um, and he, you know, he'll go down as, as an equal value of a Tim Duncan or
0: David Robinson. Hey, Russ, you, you brought up a great point in that the player side, you know, needs to work with the business side and vice versa and popping that bridge. You know, it's fantastic. Not every organization has that necessarily. Uh, but can you dive into kind of the differences between the two sides and how, you know, everyone's working towards one goal ultimately, right? But But there still are some different goals uh on on either side can you dive into that a little bit in terms of maybe some of the, the difficulties and and challenges
1: i, I think there's this natural tensions and it's you know if you equate it to a you know uh the, the newspaper business which is which is dying it's you know and, and most editorial advertising driven businesses that you know there's, there's always going to be a separation between the editorial side and the, and, uh, and the adver- advertising side same thing in and sports. I mean, there's always going to be a natural tension between um, the demand you put on your players and your team from a marketing side and the demands that they they need to have from the basketball side. Now, Pop built a, a strong basketball organization and, and RC was part of that. But a lot of the things that were done, you have those tensions. But if you can sit down and work out um, processes and systems Um, and if you've got X amount of time that the players can give, well, let's map out how we're going to use those most effectively, how we're going to get the greatest value of the player's time and how are we going to make it easy on the players? Um, how are we going to provide the right security? How are we going to make it easy when they get there? How are we going to limit the time that, um, was, was promised of that player's time and not take advantage of that. So there's, there's always, um, a natural tension and there's a lot of organizations and and, uh, that are heavily marketed, marketing driven. um, But it it taxes, it taxes players in the system greatly. So uh, I think what we, we had in San Antonio was, was a great balance of understanding um, that the, the players need their own personal time. The players are there um, to play basketball and, and, and win championships. Um, But also let's create systems to where we can, use the players in the community and get the great, greatest mileage out of them while making it fair for the player.
0: Pat, was it the same way on, on the baseball side for you there?
2: I think so. There there was always a, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's not possible to get every player to meet every fan, okay? I mean, <laughs> that's what people would like. You, it's not possible to give everybody who wants one an autograph or to get – to, to make that happen. So you really have to map out a system as Russ describes on how you do that because the the primary job a player has is they, and they have a limited time that they can do that is to be the best athlete and the best team member that they can. And the people who are involved in the basketball operation or the baseball operation are sort of kindred spirits is they're judged. They're judged by, uh, you know, a, not necessarily by how well they do in the community they're judged by uh by their record and by the you know the way that they manage through a whole season so it really is a balancing act and i think i think that the the organizations that seem to have character and culture are the ones that have people you know like pop and others and like russ who sort of understand that you have to you know you have to bridge that gap but you have to you have to stay focused on the stuff that's most important to your role in the organization.
0: Well, and and, uh, Russ said it best earlier, David Robinson was the best VP of marketing. So I guess if you kind of let the players do their job, you almost don't have to spend as much on marketing too, right?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, that's an interesting (laughs) thought. Um, I I, I guess Pat, and you can comment on this. Um, I think marketing, community relations, and community engagement um, builds equity. It builds, um, you know, relationships within your community that when you're winning are amplified uh, on the business side. And when you're losing um, you, you tend to, to uh, hold on to some of those consumers in that relationship longer than if you did not invest um, in the community and in your, in your fans.
2: Totally agree. And it's, I mean, if you kind of looked at your record if you if you if you just relied on the team performance, and it doesn't matter what sport it is, you know, sort of your business would be sort of like an EKG—you'd be up, down, in the middle, whatever. <laughs> but the 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 goal here is to try to is to try to build a business and build equity that, as Russ says, that that you can take advantage of when when you have momentum, uh, when the team has momentum, but you uh, all of a sudden can withstand the times when Uh, You know, when you don't win the NBA championship and you don't nobody does that every year. And it's, uh, you know, and and we've all all of us have been involved with teams that um, are, you know, everybody has hope every year. But there's going to be some situations where uh, an organization is going through taking their lumps. And, um, you know, you have to have character and you have to have people in the organization who um, who can stand up and, you know, put the organization sort of on their shoulders as they kind of go through it. And you know, everybody expects a, a professional sports franchise to be a good role model. And you know what? They should be, they, because there's so many people who care about them, particularly kids who care about them, that you, you know, you really do have a responsibility to conduct yourself in a way that um, that is, you know, where your community will be proud of you. And, I and you know, Russ has always yeah that was one of the one of the key things if you looked at at the at the spurs and that organization is that that, that was an organization that always had character all the way through and they just managed to, to, to win a lot too but it um th- that's why they're beloved in that community
1: yeah and, and i think and whether you're in business or you're in sports um, organizational culture and uh, and having people all on the same page that believe in each other and and have character leads to success um if you have um you know people within the organization that um constantly um complain or are doing things that are are counter to that culture, it creates issues within an organization you're not running smooth you're you're not a well oiled machine, and generally those people um are not happy and and create unhappiness and instability in an organization. So, um, you know, just like players, I mean, you can have cancers in the locker room, but the best thing you can do is, is, is get them out. And uh, that's in any organization, any any businesses. It's not as easy on the player side when you have long-term contracts and other things. So you've got to manage those personalities. Um, but it, it's a real, um, real balancing act.
0: Well, you make a great point, Russ. And, and to that, it's, you know, in theory, really anyone's replaceable, right. Whether you're, whether you're the star of the team or not, um, maybe some instances along the way where, you know, uh, you're able to point to where, where people were replaceable, but maybe they went on to a different culture that, that fit them better. And, you know, did a great job.
1: Yeah. I, I would say to anybody, um, and whether you're in sports in the workplace, um, you know, early in your career, you're, you're, you're never going to be happy because you're not, not the boss. Um, I I think every, every kid that comes out of college now wants to be the vice president within, you know, four weeks of walking in the door. Um, but you know, there's just certain things that if, if you're not happy doing what you're doing and you come home miserable, um, find another, find another job that makes you happy um, because you're going to be more productive. Your life's going to be a lot smoother if you're happy. And the place that you're working is going to be better because you're happy doing what you're doing. And if you're in an organization and you're not happy, you're probably not helping that organization. So sometimes it's just, it's, you got to know when change is needed. Um, and then and the good ones can do that.
2: You know it, it sports uh, professional sports and amateur sports in Texas, particularly where you are i mean it, this is not like in New York or Chicago or S- Los Angeles it, big metropolitan areas i mean you're you, you really cover you know that state i mean that state's identity is with organizations like the Spurs and it is um, uh, and, and, and sort of building a building a base i mean you're in a, in a metropolitan area that has really the spurs are it you have some other i guess some other franchises but it's really the spurs right that's it
1: yeah they're the, you know ahl hockey that you know, all of it mostly falls under the spurs there's minor league baseball that doesn't but you know on, on the the national scale the spurs uh, are the dominant franchise and um you know it, it's interesting that um you can be uh, a a soul you know a, a sole team in the marketplace. Um and if that if you own the marketplace, you can you can survive in, in uh, a business that favors large markets in New York, Chicago's LA's, uh, the television money that teams bring in and the ancillaries that they can bring in, um, they have a great advantage over smaller market teams. And in San Antonio, we always felt um, you know, we were climbing uphill because you know, not only we're in a small market, you lose one eighth of your television revenue um, going uh, annually, and then you're trying to uh, compete. Uh, you know, with 28 markets that are larger than you, um, it it makes you efficient, um, and that's why you know teams. And I, I take Portland when they were in their heyday, um, teams that um, identify with their fans, and their fans identify with them they become synonymous, that marketplace is yours. And you can do as well in a small marketplace, being a team like that, then you, you can be in uh, LA and New York. You, you're, you're not going to uh, make as much money, but you're going to survive. And you're going to do okay because you've penetrated that marketplace much deeper than uh, a large market team could.
2: So, so Russ, I want to, I want to move on on sort of qualities. I, anybody who's listened to the podcast and listened to me know that I sort of, I'm very big on sales experience. I think at least in this business, the ability to sell and the ability to create a sales culture and deliver on that um, is really, really important. I mean, your first job in the business was, you know, selling advertising in a, in a team program, but you've had a sales orientation all the way through your life. I mean, Do you agree that that's that's an important quality to have to be successful in this business?
1: Absolutely. The number one quality. Um, If you look at, and and Pat, you know this, um, entry-level jobs um, in sports, you don't go in and you may may graduate with a degree in sports management, but the entry-level jobs are generally going to be in sales. Um, And if you can sell and sell well, you'll have a chance to get your foot in the door and eventually, do other things. Um, but sales is, is the principles of selling um, take you through um, the whole career because you know selling is is asking questions, um, understanding challenges, creating solutions, um, and those principles. Um, you, know, you may enter selling tickets or selling program ads, but the, the, the principles of the sales process. Uh, help you solve problems, help you get by. And, uh, you know, when you when you dated the girl that you uh, married, if you didn't have salesmanship, you may not have gotten married. Uh, you got to <laughs> you got to you got to sell that person. You got to make them believe that you're it for life. Um, so you sell every day. I mean, you're, in marriages, you sell. I mean, everybody's trying to convince um, your point of view at times. Um but salesmanship is listening. That you know the greatest skill that somebody can have is listening, but that's the you know one of the greatest things that you need to do to be successful in sales is listen, um, listen and ask questions. So, I, I agree with you one hundred percent. Sales is is a great background to have.
0: Well, fantastic. I I I couldn't agree more, and uh, I haven't gotten to that marriage uh, point yet, Russ and Pat, but uh, I, I can certainly see how it could potentially come handy. <laughs>
1: Yeah that's well, that the greatest it, deal I closed in my life. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was the best deal you made. Totally the got best it. deal you made. Well so we're going to we're going to wind down this episode but I I you know I think that Russ uh I'm going to maybe put you on the spot a little bit here because you you know you've made an incredible career kind of and also being flexible moving from place to place you know, being a problem solver but tell me Tell me who the person is as you're kind of looking at the people. Uh, you know, you just had one that that just passed away, David Stern. Tell me what he, you know, what he meant to you, and maybe we can close the episode with you, at least describing. And we've heard a lot of great things about him, but um, what did he mean to you personally?
1: Well, you know, when I when I first started in 1980, um, David was was beginning his. His run at uh, building the NBA and and, um, spending, um, oh, gosh, you know, almost 30 years um, with him as the commissioner and and you build relationships. Uh, He was a relationship builder Um, there. There were many things that uh, he he allowed to surface from. Um, the team experience. You know, sometimes you get stuck in the league, league office, um, and he gets great credit for driving the league uh, into uh, the international marketplace for um, you know the television rights, uh, all of the marketing the league has done. Uh, but David also probed um, the teams and the and the and the best practices that teams were doing, um, and really encouraged the sharing of ideas. And I think from a team perspective one of the greatest things he did and had the league do was bring teams together to share best practices. Um, we all competed on the, on the basketball floor, but, um, he brought teams together to understand that we're all in this together. And, you know, the tide rises when everybody does well. So he, he was a team builder and, um, he was, he was just, he was a a great role model and a great friend, um, You know, the everybody in the NBA um, who has any degree of longevity, uh, it it came because David paved the way. He made a lot of people very successful in a lot of different ways.
0: Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing that, Russ. I mean, it's definitely you can see the impact he had uh, amongst many people as you were talking about. And certainly want to thank uh, you for making an impact on, on those who are listening and the advice and insights you shared. Um, Pat, any, any last words as we wrap up?
2: Well, I, you know, one of the great things that, that, you know, I think you can hear on these different podcasts is, is that the being in sports is a relationship business. And I got to tell you, it's great fun for me to just to, to catch up with 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 russ and uh, we both started out with sort of fairly <laughs> fairly humble beginnings not making much money and we actually managed to make a great life out of it and i think you know that itself um it, it tells a good story so russ i i'm proud to have you as a friend and i we, we appreciate you coming on the podcast same here pat
1: you are one of my heroes uh, for a long time you, you you led the way and um Sure. Appreciate uh, speaking with both you guys. Thanks, Drake, so much.